If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, Romans chapter 5 today as we are continuing our series through the book of Romans. Happy Father's Day, men. If you are a father, we're thankful that you're here at church with us today to open up God's Word as we look at what it looks like to reverse the curse. Now, I don't know if you're a baseball fan like myself, but I can remember the curse of the great Bambino. Do you remember the curse of the great Bambino? How in 1919, the Boston Red Sox made the very poor decision to trade and sell Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. Up to that point, in the first 15 World Series games, they had won five. And it was going to be 86 years later before they won another one. I can remember in 2002, sitting on the couch watching the ALCS with my son, who was two years old at the time, my little Eli, and I would hold him there, and I nicknamed him Pedro, after Pedro Martinez, as I watched them come back from an 03 deficit. I just remember that, and I remember they finally reversed the curse. Today, we're going to look at the reversal of the curse that was brought on us by Adam, and so how the human curse and how sin and death has come into the world, come behold the wondrous mystery. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law, in him we stand. Amen. He is a good and gracious king who came to live the life that we are incapable of living, to die the death we should have died, and to give us life everlasting. He has reversed the curse. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Romans chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 12 and finish out the chapter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, you have revealed your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has accomplished, the great and wonderful mystery, how he takes away the sins of the world, how he takes upon himself the curse, and how we can have justification and life, eternal life, through faith 
in Jesus Christ. So today, Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth of your word, that you would take us from death to life, from darkness to your great light. And we would see clearly that you have orchestrated every single bit of this for your sovereign glory to give us your grace. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we've been going through Romans, we have seen Paul has just made this all-out case on justification through faith. Week after week after week, we looked at Romans 1.18 through 3.31 as he gave the argument of justification by faith. He was arguing his case. And as he got to Romans chapter 4, we saw the ancestry of justification by faith, how he went all the way back to Abram and Abraham and how he showed that he was justified not by works but by faith. And then last week, we looked at Romans 5, 1 through 11, the application of justification by faith. So then we rejoice in the things that we've been given because of the work of Christ. And so today, we look at the assurance of justification by faith. We can be assured that what Christ did was accomplished and fulfilled on the cross and in his resurrection. And so we have great news today. Even though that there is some bad news in the beginning, it's leading towards what we have received in Christ. The first thing I want you to see is the acquisition of death through Adam. The first verse here, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul reaches this argument to say, Therefore, since this one man's sin in the garden, we can see that death and sin has now infiltrated all of humanity. Everyone has sinned because of Adam's sin. As he's building his case towards the next chapter in 623, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's explaining that by one man, death entered the world. When Adam sinned in the garden, Adam's nature became a sin nature. Sin became something Adam then would naturally do. Adam's sin also caused us to inherit that same sin nature so that we are naturally opposed to the things of God and his moral law and his will. So the acquisition of death was this, the acquisition of a sin nature. Acquisition of a sin nature, one that naturally chooses sin over self, and self over God and his moral law. Did you know that you naturally choose selfish things over the things of God that's just natural in you you naturally do these things that you have this disposition now that was given to you as you were born because of the sin of Adam that you naturally just want to rebel against God our sin nature is the aspect of us that makes us naturally rebellious against God the proof of this is seen all throughout humanity that we naturally want to rebel against God and his word you don't have to teach a child to say mine. Am I right? You don't have to teach a child that. I mean, bless, bless the people who are back there in the nursery right now who are, who are having to separate the kids because of the toys, right? That No, it's mine. It's mine. We naturally see this coming out in the lives of young ones as they, as they grow up, as they learn how to be more and more and more selfish. We have a natural disposition that goes against God, as Charles Spurgeon would say. As the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you're deceived. As you look at your life, you can see that you are naturally, you're naturally gravitating towards a rebellious lifestyle and heart from the things of God. Not only that, we have the acquisition of original sin. 
Not only have we received a sin nature or a moral corruption that results in a sinful disposition, it now manifests itself in habitually sinful behavior. The one sin that Adam did then caused habitual sinning. That sin just began to increase and increase and increase. You can look at your own life and see that not only do you have a disposition and a natural inclination towards the rebellion, but now that you've started sinning, you just keep sinning over and over and over. Am I right? You see that this is what we have inherited from Adam and the fall. Original sin has resulted not only in our having a sin nature, but also in our incurring guilt before God for which we deserve punishment. We are continually showing that we deserve to be punished because we are continually rebelling against God and we are continually sinning against God over and over and over. And this is what we have inherited from the fall. David would say in Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David looks back and he says, Listen, when I was born, I was born with this nature. And when I was born, I was born with this habit of sinning over and over and over. And if I look back, it started long before I can even remember that this was how I was. You get to Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We live in a world today who has taken the idea of this sin nature and they've, they've elevated it to be okay. Well, that's how I was created. I I don't see anything wrong with this. This is what feels right for me. And so this sin nature that that has got this this predisposed uh, urge towards rebellion is now being celebrated because that's how I was created. Yes, naturally you are sinful. And that natural sinning then turns into habitual sinning. And that habitual sinning, when you don't want to be condemned or judged for it, becomes a lifestyle. And so we see that it keeps going and keeps going because our hearts are are desperately sick, which means because of these two things, we've got the acquisition of total depravity. Sin is not just a blemish on our exterior performance. It is an internal devastation of our mind, body, and will, which identifies us as morally unable and morally incapable of inclining ourselves to the things of God. We are dead in sin. This is what we inherited from Adam. Through this one man's sin, all sinned. All now have a nature that is leading them towards rebellion. And not only that, they have a pattern of life that is continually sinning over and over and over. And because we have, we have taken in the consequence of sin, which is death, we are now dead in our trespasses and sin. We are unable to even call out for this help on our own because we were born with a natural sinful. Uh, nature sinful from Adam. We were born with a sinful disposition in Adam. We were born with the sinful acquisition of death through Adam. This is the state of the human race and this is what we can see. You can't live without sinning just as you can't live without dying. This is the hopeless state of all humanity apart from Christ. This is what we have inherited from Adam Now, this sounds awful, and there are many who say, yeah, I just don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that one man's sin has caused me to be sinful, because that's just not right. I should be be held guilty for my own sin, but not because of what someone else did. And that's kind of the Pelagian theory. This is what came up in the fourth century by a guy named Pelagius, who was condemned 
at the Council of Chalcedon in 431. This is what he said. He asserted that Adam's fall into sin had no direct effect on his offspring other than to set a bad example. Doesn't that sound interesting? You know what Adam did? He set a bad example. We shouldn't follow that, that example. We should be better than that. And so then he would go on to say, Pelagius asserts that Adam's sin affected no one other than himself. The reason he was seen as a heretic is because this goes completely against what Scripture says. Because we just read, verse 12, let me read it again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Because of one man's sin, all men sin. We've all inherited a sin nature, a habitual sinning, and a total depravity because of the federal headship of Adam. So federal headship is this theological term I'm going to teach you today. Are you ready? The federal headship is the word federal comes from the Latin word fotus, which means covenant. A federal head is a person who, through covenant relationship, represents or stands in for someone else. So Adam represents all humanity. He is the representative. And so God placed him as the representative. He was created by God. He was placed in the garden as the representative for all humanity. And so what he does as our representative then comes to us. You're like, I, I, don't, know. I don't know about this. I don't, know understand. I don't understand this. Well, think about a power of attorney. Have you ever had to go get a power of attorney to handle someone else's medical issues or financial issues? It's, it's a horrible process where if the worst thing happens, you then, as a responsible person that has been chosen by then, can step in and make the decisions based on their medical needs or their financial needs. This is something I had to go through a few years back, was getting power of attorney as we saw my mother's condition worsening. And so this is like worst case scenario. Well, well this is only if you're weak enough to not represent yourself that this will take place. Well, listen... You are weak. And so to think about this, you didn't have a choice to put Adam as your federal headship, as your power of attorney. You know why? Because God did that for you because God created him without a sin nature. And he placed him in a perfect garden where there was no sin. And yet, even in that environment, he sinned. And that sin was then passed on to all of us. Under Adam's federal headship, as our God-appointed human representative, his human nature became our sin nature. His original sin became our habitual sin. And therefore, the punishment of death infected the world, and death has also spread to us. This means that every disease, every natural disaster, every painful struggle with cancer, every child born with a birth defect, every child that is murdered in his mother's womb, every sexual behavior that goes against the word of God, every divorce, every rape, every war, every cause of abuse, everything that you can name goes all the way back to what Adam did in the garden. In fact, not only humanly speaking, but every aspect of life of all creation is marred with sin's effect and sentenced to death. So how does it read back in Genesis 3, 1 through 4? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. As we see the consequences of this sin action, 
God comes to Adam in verse 17, and, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree in which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall spring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat, eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Oh, because of this one original Sin. We have been given a sin nature. We have been given habitual sin. We have been given a state of total depravity, meaning we are dead, not just physically dead and dying, but we are spiritually dead, separated from God. Death is the great enemy, but praise be to Christ who defeated the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would say in 20 through 25, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each to his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is great news because as we've talked about the federal headship of Adam, we now get to move and shift to the idea that God has also placed another, one like the first that gets to be our representative, that we get to then by faith put ourselves under Christ where Christ can be our representative and not Adam. Isn't that great news? So we receive the abundance of grace as a gift through Christ. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul's now addressing the argument of what is actual sin and what is original sin? He's addressing that how can you call it sin if you don't know that it's sin? How can you say that I am, I am going to be, it's going to be counted towards me, credited towards me as sinning when I didn't know I was sinning? And he says, well, don't you see that death reigned before the law even came? That from Adam to Moses, there was the consequences of sin. There was sin and there was death even before you knew that was there. So this counted means to charge against someone's account. How can you be held accountable for something you didn't know was wrong? This is, this is the thought that always runs through my mind when I am speeding and I know that I might get pulled over. My first excuse would be, well, I didn't know the speed limit, officer, which would be a lie, right? Right. Or you just try to pretend like you didn't say, I don't know what the speed limit is. So if I get pulled over, I can't be held accountable for something I didn't know was wrong. This is, this is a silly argument, right? Because he's going to go, well, I guess you should have paid attention. And then you're going to get the ticket. So this is the same thing. How can I be held accountable for something I didn't know was wrong? Paul's making the case that we are going to throw up this argument. Well, how can I be held accountable for what someone else did? And how can I be held accountable if I didn't know that it was a sin? And he's going to say, listen... The argument is the sin 
was through Adam imputed to you. So that means sin is not just what you do, sin is what you are. In Adam, sin nature, you are habitually sinning. You can't not sin, just like you can't not die. You are totally depraved. Sin has been counted or imputed to who you are. This is where we like to throw up the objection to how unfair it is to be condemned to die for an action we may or may not have done on our own. But we have to accept the imputation of Adam so that we can accept the imputation of Christ. We have to accept the fact that through Adam we were counted as sin so that through Christ we can be counted as righteous. Isn't that a beautiful thought? This is the assurance that we have of our salvation. He says, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. How many times in these few verses can Paul say free gift? Free gift through faith is a free gift. We need a new God-appointed representative, a new federal headship because the first representative selfishly disobeyed God and ate from the tree, bringing a curse on us. But the second representative sacrificially obeyed God and climbed up on a tree to bear that curse for us. This is what we have in Christ. As R.C. Sproul would say, if you get rid of the imputation, we have no basis for any hope in standing before the judgment seat of God. Either we stand before God's judgment with our righteousness or with someone else's. If we have to stand before God with our righteousness, which righteousness, the Bible says, is nothing but filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6, we have no hope. Take away the imputation of the Savior's righteousness and there is no good news left to the gospel. We have to accept that we have received by nature a sin nature from Adam so that we can also accept that we have received righteousness through Christ, through one man. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What have we acquired with the new federal headship through faith in the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of Christ? We have the acquisition of abundant grace. What have you now taken hold of? Abundant grace in Christ as your representative. The unmerited favor of God that you can't earn or work for is a free gift. A free gift. It's a free gift. This, under Christ, has now been credited to you. Through faith in the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we have the acquisition of the free gift of righteousness. The free gift of righteousness of Christ, the substitutionary obedience of Christ. Because Christ lived an obedient life, his obedience has now been credited to you because you can't live the perfect life. He is the one who lived the perfect life so that that can be credited to our account. The question is not whether we're going to be saved through works. The question is whose works? We are saved through the works of the one who alone fulfilled the terms of the covenant of works. He is our federal head. That's why it's not just the death of Christ that redeems us, but it's also the life of Christ. By one man's disobedience, 
we were plunged into ruin. But by the obedience of one man, the true and better Adam, we are justified. Let me ask you, does it matter that Jesus was sinless? Yes. It matters because his righteousness, his obedience is now credited to your account. You're not credited with a disobedience of Adam any longer, but through faith, you're now credited with an obedience that you are incapable of doing on your own. What a remarkable thought of what it means to be in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we have the assurance of salvation by the work of Christ. There is an assurance that we get. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous, will be made righteous. One man's obedience, as Paul talks about the obedience of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The obedience of Christ is our imputed righteousness. Just as the disobedience of Adam was our imputed sin, we now have a new creation, a new nature. Jesus was obedient and conquered death where Adam was not obedient and caused death. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness having fasted for 40 days and yet was obedient. Adam, you'll recall, was in paradise and was still disobedient. Jesus clung to the word as his hope for obedience. As Satan came and tipped him, tempted him, he used the word of God to show that he would, he would live on the word of God. Adam sinned by doubting the word of God. Jesus died on the sixth day of the week the sixth day was the day that Adam was created on. Jesus was dying in humanity's place. He had, a, he had a crown of thorns that were placed on his head, and we see that the thorns were a part of the curse of the fall, meaning that he was crowned with our curse in our place. On the seventh day, God rested from all he had created, so likewise Christ rested behind the sealed tomb until he was resurrected on the first day of the week, defeating sin and the grave, showing that in him there is a new beginning and a new creation. You can have the old federal headship or you can have the new one through faith. This is the assurance of our salvation that in Christ we are made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 17 through 21. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
get excited about the federal headship of Jesus Christ, that we are no longer with a sin nature, no longer in habitual sin, no longer dead in our trespasses, but we are made alive and new. And we may not even feel the full effects of that yet because we're in the already but not yet stage of this whole transformation, but Christ is doing a new work. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. When the law came, we then realized what sin was, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus. Here's the assurance of our salvation in Christ alone. God's grace to us in Christ is greater than humanity's sin against God in Adam. That's remarkable. God's grace to us in Christ is greater than humanity's sin against God in Adam. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Can I, just, can I just read these words from that famous hymn? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see his face, will you at this moment his grace receive The gospel keeps these two truths in check. God is holy, and you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. You have no idea of what sin you inherited from Adam, but God is gracious, and you are more accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. That's the gospel, that through the true and better Adam, Jesus Christ, We have the acquisition of eternal life. We have life everlasting. 1 John 5.13, John would write this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. As Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting on him. Let me ask you, are you eagerly waiting on him? Have you moved from death to life? Have you stepped out from underneath the headship of Adam to underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you made the decision to say, I I no longer want the sins that are in my life. I want to walk away from that. I want to repent of that, and I want to surrender my life to the one who was obedient in every form and every fashion. And I wait longing for him to return because he will make all things new and he will make all things right because we have been promised the acquisition of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The curse has been reversed. Our destiny is not to remain in a realm of sin under the power of death. Our destiny, by God's grace, 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is my prayer that you know Christ, that you taste and see that the Lord is good, that you receive eternal life. If you don't know with 100% that you are under Christ, will you please find me after service and talk to me? Grab someone that you know that's near you and say, hey, can I talk to you because I have doubts? Because I want you to understand that it is a free gift. Free gift. Can I pray for you? Gracious Father, I come to you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. I thank you for your wonderful plan to redeem those who were lost. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and entered humanity in human form and was obedient all the way through, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could have life and have it everlasting. We thank you for the imputed grace and righteousness that comes not by anything that we've done, but it is a free gift that's offered through your son. Father, right now, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who is lost in the darkness of their sin, naturally rebellious against you and your ways, who find themselves in a pattern of ongoing sinning over and over and over, that you would break them and that you would lead them to the cross where they would bow on their knees and find grace and mercy and love. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.